Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're off on one of our walks again today, going down a slightly different route now. After all the wonderful blistering sunshine we've just had, it's uh, now snowing. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a strange few days. So we're walking briskly to keep ourselves warm. Now the topic for today, something that's been thinking about and it's been a lot of our uh, uh, alternative commentators, in other words, not the mainstream media, talking about whether the Labour Party and the state of the Labour Party and, and is it over and <laughs> can, it, can it be rescued and all these sort of questions. So today I thought uh, this, this is just going to be a discussion about this question and also the question of if it is dead if we try and start a new party, will it be successful? Could, could this at this point, would it just split the vote? Or is it just absolutely necessary now? It's just, we've just, we've just got to do it because the, the Labour Party is just so past, past rescuing. So um, what are your thoughts on, on all of this? Where's a good place to start with this discussion? I'm just springing this on Pete, by the way. This is a yeah. <laughs> this is a very spontaneous chat that we're having. Yeah. I just said, "Oh, just pull pull the uh, the recorder out. Let's just um, let's just have a yeah. chat about this because I know you were watching something this morning about this very topic." Yeah. Um. Well, the 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 sort of leftish uh, UK alternative media having this discussion. Uh, I mean, Jones, Nevada Media. Those kind of people. There are parallel discussions in the US about uh, you know the um, the lack of difference between the Democrats and the GOP, the Republicans. And actually, this is a discussion that's been going on pretty well most of my life, at least since I've been kind of politically aware. Particularly amongst the you know, the, the old the old communists and Maoists and so forth back in the day. They would have this, you know, that labor, you, that you can't actually reform capitalism. You do have to overthrow it uh, through revolution. And you know, 50, 60 years down the line, I'm starting to think maybe they were right. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know. Well, I've always, I've always thought that uh, really capitalism so entrenched, it's, it's got so much force and power behind it, economic, military, and so forth. And this is kind of semi-hidden from us, you know. You can, but you can dig up the extent of that power, and it's global power. And you'll, uh, you, you, you know, you you'll realise that it's it's not a matter of daily discussion in the press. Well, the press are part of the fucking problem. The press belong to to the oligarchs. <laughs> now they are the informational wing of the oligarchy. So it's, in some senses, it's not an old discussion. It's kind of it's it's kind of peaking in in intensity at the moment because of the 2019 defeat of Corbyn's Labour, and this was his second defeat. And it, the the Tories came out of it with an 80 seat majority. Then there, there was an election amongst the membership for a new leader. Jeremy Corbyn said he'd, he'd, he'd resign. He'd have a period of caretaking and then whilst the party got ready for a, an election. 
and then he would resign. And Kate Starmer won that election. There were some left candidates, Rebecca Long-Bailey uh, in particular. Uh, there was a lot of people behind Laura Pidcock, but she kind of lost her seat in, in Durham, in the, you know, in the old mining constituencies. It's unthinkable that Labour would lose a seat, but she did. Mm. And uh, she looked like a candidate. Anyway, the Keir Starmer won. Uh, he received a lot of funding for his campaign. He had far more funding than anybody else for his campaign. He wouldn't say during the campaign where it was from. And I'm still not clear where it was from. But I think it was from, it was from like the, the establishment. Mm-hmm. You know, bear in mind Keir Starmer. It was, he's, he's Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, he was the Director of Public Prosecutions. This is the top civil service lawyer's job in the UK. And he is uh, a member of the Trilateral Commission, which is a global right-wing kind of think tanky sort of influencer body. Quite dark, in my opinion. It's part of the, I was say, like the dark government of, of the world, you know. You get all conspiratorial, but there, there are these societies that have got a lot of influence. He's a member of that. I think that should have put red flags up. Definitely. Yeah. And... Uh, when he was the DPP, he kind of made deals with the CIA and people like that uh, to, to sort of bring public prosecutions more in line with the um, the anti-terrorist laws, you know. The, and the, the, if you might call it like the anti-terror state, he's a complete fucking fiction, you know. And uh, a global, again, global. And it's really a sort of a cover for bringing about more control over the mass of the people and again this is across the world we bear in mind that in the US 68 people died of terrorism more people died of peanut allergies than terrorism but it receives I don't know what it is 50 times more money than research into heart disease which kills almost half a million of people in the US it's easy to get to these figures in the US this is why I'm bringing that up but Keir Starmer was uh, instrumental in bringing the, the ordinary policing, more in line with the security state, as you might call it, you know, which is a, a body with a nefarious agenda, an agenda to control uh, the, the populations so that they uh, uh, will be incapable of overthrowing capitalism should they ever get wise to its real nature. So there's, there's, the more I investigate the bloke, the less I like him. I think he's a Tory plant, but he's, a, he's an establishment plant. So do you think that Labour's over then? Well, it's not over. It's been going for 100 years, but as, as a sort of uh, a party that's, that's in its attempt to form a coalition between uh, social democrats and democratic socialists and perhaps more um, leftist socialists, maybe even communists, in its attempt to do that, it's always oscillated between attempting to, to, to bring about, through parliamentary means, through the ballot box, a socialist, a genuinely socialist government in the UK. On the one hand, and attempting, on the other hand, just to reform capitalism a little bit. But being basically pro-capital, but interested in letting just a few more crumbs fall from the table for the working class, you know, and, 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 and for implementing... Uh, ideas like welfare state, uh, healthcare for all, you might call it, you know, national health service, you know, socialised medicine is the correct name for it. And of course they managed to do that in 1945. 
you know. And uh, it's quite a radical government in 1945, but it was on it was on the back end of the war, and the uh, soldiers got got radicalised by by the war, and they were coming home in the in the millions, you know, or in their the hundreds of thousands, and wanting jobs and wanting to start families. But they put their lives on hold for six years to go and fight the Germans and the Japanese and so forth, and they wanted something, and they were going to get shirty if they didn't get it. Plus, there were educational movements in the army throughout the war, which did sort of kind of get to um, open the door for some sort of kind of socialist and, and communist and left-wing influence, you know, because soldiers could avail of themselves of the education unit and there was kind of a load of lefties with the teachers, you know. And I mean, that's going to be part of the, you know, the outcome, 1945, of a, a, a sort of a, a socialist program. But you bear in mind that that government still held to all the old imperialist shit, you know, and uh, and still had a kind of a fairly establishment attitude to the colonies and the, uh, you know, the old empire. It was a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, we can get too kind of like glowy about it, you know. But I never, when I say the question, is it over? It's like I, no. I'm thinking, like the the, yeah. the dream that we had of an actual socialist government is that over? <laughs> Through the current Labour Party. Well, the current Labour Party. That's not their agenda. Their agenda is that same old, you know, social democrat agenda of uh, pro-capitalism uh, and protect capitalism from the working class by giving the working class a few crumbs from the table and a little bit more kind of government. Centralised government control, and a Tory government might claim uh, is is its uh, idea or its brief. Having said that, the Tories have been forced into doing a lot of centralised government action because of the pandemic and uh, just the general economic situation. So, for them to claim that they're a small government party now is a bit rich. So, I mean, this, this current Labour Party, no, no, no way, you know, and, and all, all of Starmer's front bench are right-wing arseholes. I know basically pink Tories, like Tony Blair was. I know people argue about this. They say, well, you know, you should support Starmer, otherwise you're going to be stuck with the Tories forever. And my answer to that is, well, if there's no difference between them of any real significance, uh, why, would, why would I care, you know? So, I mean, the, the, you brought up the question of a third party. Third parties don't fare well in the, in the UK. Do you yeah. think that things might be different now? I mean, we're in a very extraordinary mm. situation and turning point yeah. in, like, not just our country but the rest of the yeah. world. And do, do you think yeah. that we might, we might sort of be right? Because we did yeah. have an awful lot of people who yeah. were actually excited about doing things differently yeah, and they who were. haven't gone away. They haven't gone away. They're, they're, they're sitting around being very disappointed and, 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 dis, and disillusioned. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that describes me at the moment. For, for the most part. Yeah. Um, well, as you know, you know, the Labour Party was a third party once. The two main parties in British politics at the turn of the 20th century were the Liberals or the Whigs. And the, and the Conservatives, and basically, uh, this had grown out of, the, going back to the 18th century, these parties, out of the, of the varying interests of land versus the new industrialisation, industrial capitalism versus rentier capitalism, land, you know, owning vast tracts of land and taking rents from farmers or peasants, you know, 
this kind of feudal hangover. But the Labour Party started to represent the interests of Labour and of course we've got the working man's franchise. And the Labour Party pushed the Liberals into, into a marginal place. So it's happened once, but it was, it was like over, it was 100 years ago, thereabouts, you know, that that happened. I suppose if, if, a new, uh, if a new party was to be formed, it couldn't really do anything without any decent funds. And unless you've got some extremely rich socialists, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. just be crucified in the press. And, yeah. and lied about yeah. by probably Labour and um, yeah. and the Conservatives, and yeah. they'd probably be quite easily killed, I suppose. I mean, there was an attempt to when La- Labour had got kind of quite left-wing leadership, and Tony Benn was an influence, and Michael Foot was an influence. Right-wing Labour MPs split off and formed their own party, the Gang of Four, split off and produced the SDP, the Social Democratic Party. So they thought Labour couldn't get elected with a left-wing leader like Michael Foote, you know. And Michael Foote got vilified in the press in the same way as, as, uh, as Corbyn did. And Michael Foote was perhaps the most intelligent politician we've had in the UK. In terms of his, his powers of intellect, perhaps for in the last hundred years or something of that order. Mm. But they vilified him. He wore the wrong kind of coat at the cenotaph, all that bullshit. That's how they started all that, you know. Oh, absolutely. I hate how it's yeah. so easy for the press to destroy yeah. somebody yeah. But just t- over nothing. Actually, that's one thing that's different now is, well, OK, the, the right-wing press does have some opposition uh, in, the, in the, you know, these the, the nascent new media. Obviously, they've got a long way to go, and they're doing it on minimal funding. And, of course, the right-wing press has uh, fought back with GB... TV, was it Gammon Bot Television and um, UK TV, these kind of right wing all day TV, news TV programmes, a bit Fox News ish. You know, it's how they're pushing back and they've got millions of seed capital. Where does, you know, Navarra Media relying on sort of, you know, like Patreon style individual patronage and donations, a bit like us. You know, so but that is different. That is on the rise, and the print media are on the decline. They're pushing back, as I say, and they're trying to find their own place in the internet. There's going to be a struggle for the internet. There is a struggle for the internet. There always has been, but it's 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 getting intensifying. They will be moved by the geeks to decentralise the internet, and again, the the huge tech companies that that do very well out of centralisation, and particularly the infrastructure companies, are going to push back against that. So the struggles, the struggles everywhere, you know. That, but nevertheless, that landscape is changing, and there are people making great efforts to change it, which is a good thing. And now, in 1945, that you know that sublime moment for Labour, you might say, even though I think you do need to take a critical eye at what that Labour Party was like. Nevertheless, it was a sublime moment. We got the, we had the NHS by 1948, 49, whatever it was. And uh, at that time, there was a Labour newspaper called the Daily Herald, and I think it was the largest circulation newspaper in the in the United Kingdom, or the second largest, perhaps. Mm. And it was funded by the TUC, you know, the Trade Union Congress. Now we're in a bit of a different situation here. That we don't have a mainstream media that really consistently takes a left position 
socialist position. We don't. You know, but we say there is the rise of these alternative media. I keep saying this, young people don't read, read newspapers, you know. But then, of course, you know, if they rely on Facebook or TikTok or whatever, you know, there's, there's a lot of misinformation very easily gets propagated by those, through those media. And, of course, you know, if, if you've got a lot of money, you can employ bots, you know, by the thousand. Yeah. You know, and we, we know that that did play a role in Brexit. And, and pretty well on the basis of manipulation and false data. So we're up against all that as well. But yet a third party, I mean, who knows, really? But the SDP didn't work. I mean, they, they, they had a few MPs for a bit. It, it, they said they were going to well, break... Why didn't it work, do you think? What, because of the two-party um, the two party first-past-the-post system. It's the electoral system. Right? It's, it's like you've only got... Your, if you, if you, it's whoever, whoever... It's first-past-the-post. You know what it means, don't yes, you? Yes, I know, yeah. It's just yeah. a straightforward majority per constituency. And that's it. You know, it means it doesn't make room for third parties. Mm. I mean, you could have a situation where, say, the Tories got 34%, Labour got 33%, and the Greens got 32%, and then the Brexit party got whatever is left over from that. And Labour would just get one seat in Parliament. You know, the, sorry, the Conservatives, the Conservatives would just get one seat in Parliament on that basis. You know, the, the, the third of the population in that constituency that voted Green or voted Labour would get no voice whatsoever. Now extrapolate that to the whole country. And this is why we can have a Tory government with, you know, with a good majority in Parliament, a workable majority, and only 28% of the eligible people voted for them. Yeah. Right? So mm. it, it, distorts, it distorts the representation. And it, that's, that's what makes it hard for third parties to get a grip. And somewhere like Denmark, you have 50 parties. Now, some, we did have an election about that, a referendum about that in Britain. You know, do you want a proportional representation so we become more like Denmark? Or most European countries, and, or in fact like Wales as a sort of a PR system. And we're having our election next month for the Welsh Parliament. And that's a PR system, you know. Partly. It's, it's got a first-past-the-post element and a PR element. Anyway, um, that, that is the main reason why a third party don't get a look in. Mm. And uh, it's, it's kind of undemocratic. I mean, I, I maintain... So, so with this then, it's just going to make it more likely that the, uh, the Tories will win again yeah. and just but keep on winning. If they say, well, they'll split the vote and we'll get the Tories, well, I'll, my, my reply to that is it probably is worth the effort if the broad left could form an actual left party, an actual socialist party. Instead of trying to be in coalition with social democrats, like in the current Labour Party, mm. under this notion of a broad church as a means of getting some workers' representation in Parliament. I mean, my, my view on this is that the UK needs a complete constitutional rejig on the level of institutions and politics, electoral politics. But even that isn't going to bring about the necessary changes. And I say the changes, there are certain changes which are necessary. They're not merely desirable, they're absolutely necessary. And they've got to happen across the globe, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, environmental catastrophe. It needs to be avoided. 
And uh, even if we had a nicely reformed constitution, so the country was truly democratic, it still wouldn't be enough. People still need to engage in widespread civil disobedience. Strikes, rent strikes, debt strikes, as well as building community and building our own safety nets for people when the shit really hits the fan. All that needs to happen, as well as at least having a stab at the, the political arena. Now my thought is that we should be calling for a constitutional committee uh, or body elected by the public to rejig the constitution along the lines of Chile. So Chile, uh, until very recently, has had a constitution. Well, in fact, it still has a constitution put together by... Uh, by the Pinochet military far-right junta after the, uh, the, the coup of 73. And recently, in a referendum, the people voted to redo the constitution. And they were given a choice on the ballot as to whether they wanted to allow the parliamentarians, their MPs, or deputies, I think they call them, to figure out the new constitution, or whether they wanted a committee elected from the people at large, a broad committee, uh, to do the work of putting together a new constitution. They voted for the second one, which I think is absolutely great. And that's what we need here, exactly that. We have an unelected head of state, an unelected second chamber, no workplace democracy, and this stupid first-past-the-post system that means you, you have a choice between pink Tories and blue Tories, and so do you think we should just uh, skip the third party uh, efforts and just go straight to revolution then? Well, if we could, that would be good, but I think, um, I think the third party is worth risking. Some people say it would just split the vote. But why worry about splitting the vote? Because you're going to get the establishment anyway. You know, if, if, Much if, as if I the don't choice. like what's happening, that Labour is still slightly better than the Tories, I think. Yeah. But, this, but it's, it's wrong that we're in the position of having to ch just choose the least worst option. I know, I know. And, yeah. and, you know it's very depressing. And, and it, I, to my mind, it would be worth the risk of trying to form a third party. Um, because the Labour was once a third party, and it became you know, one of the two main parties, and the Liberals lost their ascendancy. Okay, it happens once every hundred years, but we might be ready for that, mm. right? And since there's very little, under Starmer, he's indistinguishable, and he's, you know, you look into his background. He's, I mean, I know he's a, he reckons he's a working class bloke, but he's, he's he clawed his way up the shit pile, and he's a he's a big, he's very very entrenched in the establishment to up to the up to, belonging to the Trilateral Commission. which is about as establishment as it gets. So I thought it would be worth a try, but in the sense that there's nothing to lose. But if we can get to revolution before that, but again, I think at the current juncture, that's not likely to happen. And uh, of course we need to ask, you know, what do we think a revolution is, you know, at this point? <laughs> you know. That's a, that's a good question. Well, we'll what put, would you say? We'll put some, what's the, put what's some, the answer some to that one? Into, <laughs> well, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a peacenik. 
Oh, I don't, I don't want there to be blood, you know. Yeah, me too. The, 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 the big revolutions, the, you know, the Russian Revolution 1917, the Chinese Revolution 1914, both took place in context of global war, you know, in which the countries concerned were in, in, in states of catastrophe because of war and then civil war. And so they were, blood, they were bloody revolutions in which there were military struggles. And people lost their lives, you know. And, uh, and also a lot of infrastructure gets destroyed when you do that. And I think that's, that would be really unfortunate that we would push that far, that that is what had to happen to save humanity <laughs> and for there to be some, some liberation of the people, you know. So, I, th I think we need to uh, rethink what revolution would be, would be like as a part of as a part of the process of revolution, you know. And yeah, I mean, you've got an idea of what I think about that. I think it is it is networking amongst the networks, so that so that a locus of power is is, is then. Uh, produced, which is independent of parliamentary and uh, institutional considerations. You do that in parallel with attempting to capture the state through elections and all the rest of it. But that we uh, we build we build community, we build a broad church of people who see that the status quo continuing would be disastrous and possibly fatal. Uh, you develop the culture of freedom and democracy and collectivity. You're building safety nets, and I keep saying that local communities should be really work. If you're an activist in a community, build your local safety nets. Be ready. And there are many ways of, of, of building the revolution like that. And I'll to a velvet revolution, not a, not a reformist, because it really has to change everything. And in some ways it has to go, a good part of it, not all of it necessarily, but a good part of it, has to happen outside of the current institutions, because they are so corrupt. And the current, the current parliamentary processes, which again, as we've just illustrated, are completely corrupt. I think that is the way to go. You could be in the Labour Party and perhaps, you know, try and push those ideas within. And uh, I don't know, Welsh Labour is different, we've got people like that. Yeah, almost seems to be a different party to Westminster. Yeah. Just, uh, we're kind of coming down into the town now, so we're passing people and down nearly down on you the can, road. You can hear a bit of traffic and stuff I as well. I think we're going to be able to go down our secret path through the harbour, which means we don't have to walk down the road, so we can yeah. carry on recording. You can do it when the tide's well out, can't you? you can yeah. Get... It's a, it's a path that only is revealed when the tide is, is almost at its lowest point. On a, on a personal level, you, f you find yourself fighting against uh, what, Mark Fisher's capitalist realism. And Mark Fisher wrote this book called Capital, Capitalist Realism. The thesis of capitalist realism is that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. What I'm saying is that we have to break through that... And it's through imagination and through projects that give us some joy, you know. And, and as, as we're caught in, caught in the universe of whinge forever. You know. And I, mean, I do think we have to analyse 
what the establishment does to us vis-a-vis -vis the information it feeds us, the education it gives us, the laws it clamps uh, down, it clamps down on us through, like this new law that's about to go, you know, that's just had two readings in Parliament, giving the police, who've already got ample powers, but giving them even more powers to prevent demonstrations. Yeah, the so, Labour Party, have they, uh, they actually put out an official line of what they no, think about the, uh, the no, Tories banning no, peaceful no, protests? No, a few, a, few of the, a few of the left MPs, um, Zara Sultana, Clive Lewis, Richard Bergen and perhaps a couple of others have spoke out against, against the bill. Labour actually put the whip on to abstain from voting against it. But at the last minute in the second reading, they changed their mind because of all this furore about the, the way the police dealt with the vigil after that young woman, uh, Sarah Everhard, was killed allegedly by a policeman who is now you know, in jail waiting trial for her murder, mm -hmm. a metropolitan policeman. So they, uh, they, they did a quick backpedal on that. They seem to be, they've got no moral compass, somebody said today. I think that's right, you know. Yeah, it does seem to be that they just swing swing the way that will mm. please the most people. Well, they almost. can't, you see, this is a terrible mistake. It's, 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 they have focus groups. Decide what people, uh, to try and figure out what people out I there... I that stuff with the flags. Yeah, <laughs> to find out what people out there are thinking, and then they try and align themselves with that. And the point is, change the thought, if that's the thought, change it, mm. you know. But they, they, don't, they can't change it because they don't have a vision to inform their um, recommendations. For our, you know, they don't have a vision of what kind of world they'd like to live in and what kind of world they'd like to leave their children and their grandchildren. And that is what politics is. And they, you, you have to have a vision. I know there are dangers of utopia. I know Marx pointed them out and all the rest of it. But nevertheless, you cannot function without a vision or a utopia in your mind and a clear a clear sense of what you, you what you would value in a future society and what you think would be dangerous. Now of course this is this is all this is again intensified, intensified to the nth degree now, given that the way capitalism is taking the human race is very, very rapidly towards extinction. That's why all this is kind of urgent really. And I, I do think that the um, the oligarchs do realise that a lot of people are realising they've got nothing to lose by getting on the streets. And of course, all around the world, people are on the bloody streets, you know. So you're telling me about um, things going on in Northern Ireland this morning. Well, there have been three, three nights running, there have been, there's been unrest in Northern Ireland. It's been sort of Protestant youths protesting against Boris Johnson's border down the Irish Sea, since they see that as being a step towards a united Ireland, which they, as unionists they would resist. Well, I am a bit disappointed that it, apparently it's young people going to the news. Obviously I'd need to fact which, check that. Which news is that though? BBC. Oh, uh, wow. So, you know, they say all oh, 27... Can't trust a word they say yeah. these days sometimes. They say, <laughs> whatever, 27 policemen have been injured. That, you know... Oh, uh, well, we believe every word of that so, then, you, given you what know. they just said about policemen being injured in uh, Bristol that were all total lies. <laughs> yeah. Well, the police, the police gave that out, didn't they? So, yeah, we should have a look at that and see if it is... Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's mainly true. Mainly young people trying to stick up for the, the, the union, the being yeah. unionists. Because yeah. we both were thinking that that would, uh, that would have died out amongst the, uh, the younger generation. Well, yeah, apparently not, you know. Mm. Well, I mean, I mean United Ireland, would, would, if everyone could just kind of be at peace with that, would all solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, petrol bombs and stuff, apparently. Throwing yeah. petrol bombs and rocks at, at the police. So, well done, Boris. Okay. <laughs> so, we've uh, kind of meandered uh, far and wide in this uh, short talk. Yeah. Um, back to the Labour Party. And I would say, in answer to your questions, that in its current incarnation, it doesn't offer much hope out for. Uh, socialists and I suppose the one thing that Starmer has done in his one year of uh, leadership is fragment the left, hound the left, suspend the left including suspending Jeremy Corbyn from the Parliamentary Labour Party uh, removing the whip as they say and that's basically all he's done otherwise he's offered no resistance to the Tories and that's because the Labour Party in this incarnation as many many times in its past is basically a pro-capitalist party that seeks the votes of, of workers with some promises, is, with some promises, with some promises of a few more crumbs from the table and a few more protections. As far as uh, social policy concerned, it seems that they will be as conservative as the Conservatives, and more conservative than some parts of the Conservative Party in terms of social conservatism. So they're not a great bet, in, in my opinion. I would mention that Welsh Labour is a bit different. Certainly our candidate is an eco-socialist, and uh, uh, actually he's a guy who says at least he wants discussions about independence. And he's a guy who realises that you need to protect your local communities, give safety nets, and, and to work on that sort of uh, small, is beautiful level as well. I do think there's a case for a third party, but it's, uh, you know, it would, people say it would be a risk. I don't think it would be a risk because I don't think it would be a risk if there's nothing to choose between the two major parties. And my, my big thought about this is that the UK needs a complete constitutional rejig along the lines of Chile. And uh, that's a big ask. There's not many people talking about that yet. I kind of predict that there will be in the next few years. Because the system is just against UK society pr prospering across the board. And let alone prospering, you know, it's, uh, the, the, we have governments and parties that basically are fiddling while Rome burns or fiddling while the world burns. So, but I'm not unoptimistic. I think there are many, many things that we can do. I think a lot of work for radical people, of quite a broad range of range of uh, interest, focus, and and general philosophy, uh, need to need to get together and at least co cooperate and to work outside of the institutions and the parliamentary system and just start building the revolutionary society in that old hippie fashion, you know. So, 
I think we need to be building the safety nets to local communities, a whole range of initiatives around climate, around social justice, around anti-racism. Well, exactly uh, like Jeremy Corbyn's peace and justice movement then. Yeah. There's work to be done outside and inside, but I think to, to really, the, uh, I would like to see in the future a big push for this constitutional reform. Then we can use the, the parliamentary system as well. And it all needs to happen in coordination with like-minded people across the globe. This is where, like, DM25, which is kind of Europe, you know, and the Progressive International. Yeah. On top of that, there needs to be a lot of work done, actually deconstructing, exposing, demythologizing the tricks that the oligarchs use to keep us in our state of virtual slavery. Yeah. Okay. I hope everyone found that interesting and hopefully useful too and we will speak to you again soon.